Well, thanks for joining me today and reaching out. Yeah, definitely. It's a pleasure, pleasure to chat with you. I'm learning more about like what you do. And so um, I'll just start to let you introduce yourself, um, name, preferred pronoun, whatever title, however you want to introduce yourself. This is kind of like your time. <laughs> so my name is Brianna Durand. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm a doctor of physical therapy and the small um, business owner of Empower Physiotherapy in Seattle. Uh, as for my identity, um, I'm a white queer woman, more specifically homo, romantic, and pansexual. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for joining us on Queer Converse. I was excited to hear um, and kind of learn more about what you do. And kind of, I want to start with discussing like your specialty because this is not like my realm. I'm a social science person. And so like anything biology and science is not my forte. I have a nephew who wants to go into kinesiology kinesiology yeah that was my undergrad yeah <laughs> uh, um and that's about as, as much as I know and so could you give us just like a brief overview of what orthopedic and pelvic floor physical therapy and the type of work that you do what all that includes yeah totally so orthopedics is what people usually think of when they think of physical therapy uh so it's the evaluation and treatment of our musculoskeletal systems bones, muscles, ligaments, tendons, fascia, all that stuff to, you know, get them stronger or if they're overactive, improve their flexibility or mobility. Um, so for example, I treat run-of-the-mill diagnoses like low back pain, rotator cuff tears, ankle sprains, um, after someone has ACL surgery, for example, that kind of stuff. But then pelvic floor is a less well-known, although it's been growing in like the last decade or so. Um, but still a more specialized area. Well, people can become specialized in ortho too. Like they, they go and get, you know, really advanced certifications, but pelvic floor is not considered an entry-level skill. So you have to get additional um, training. But I really think that pelvic floor and orthopedics are so similar. They overlap in so many ways. Um, we're just talking about different parts of the body. And I didn't know what pelvic floor PT was till I got to grad school. So like, you are not alone in that. <laughs> Most people don't. And they're like, how does the pelvic, how does the physical therapist have anything to do with this part of the body? Um, but there's actually like so many muscles down there. And there's also ligaments and nerves and fascia. And just like anywhere else, you can get pain or weakness or stiffness or discoordination, all that stuff. Um, so just to give some examples of uh, diagnoses regarding that, like urinary incontinence or pelvic organ prolapse, pain with sex, but also less common ones like constipation or even erectile dysfunction can be um, a pelvic floor condition. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I, I really think that to be the most effective, you can't have both. You can't have just ortho or just pelvic floor. You need a little bit of both because mm -hmm. things get missed all the time. That it's really interesting to me because I'm actually, um, I used to play rugby. I played rugby for almost seven years. What? That's cool. Yes. And so when you're talking, I'm thinking like, oh yeah, all these muscles, all these things. I remember PT. I remember all the different types of, I hurt my lower back, my um, L1, S1, uh, L, my L7, S, I don't know, lower back, <laughs> I hurt that ages ago. And I remember going to the chiropractor um, and kind of hearing a lot of what you're talking about. Um, but on a different level, because I know chiropractic is completely different than what you're doing. Um, and so maybe just a slight kind of differentiation, like 
this overlap that you're speaking of is kind of an intersectionality of multiple, multiple types of um, practices. It sounds like, How, does chiropractic fit in there as well? Because my brain keeps going to that as well. That's a great question. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry, did I cut you off? No, no, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So sometimes there seems to be like this feud between PTs and Kairos. Um, but I actually think that like good rehab is good rehab, regardless of who provides it. Like there's excellent Kairos and excellent PTs and there's not so stellar of both too. Um, so I, I think it's, it's just a matter of like looking at the individual, but our training is quite similar. So we do a three-year doctorate, they do a four-year. Um, their focus is mostly on the spine and manipulating the spine. So getting those adjustments. Um, but I learned spinal manipulation in school too, but then I also learned treatment of all the other joints in the body, like, and there's other stuff, like PTs do so much that people don't even know, um, like we can treat, there's PT for vertigo, like in the inner ear, your vestibular system has a problem, there's PT for your TMJ, like, there's so much crazy, like I've treated P I've treated patients in ICUs on ventilators, like, there's just so much stuff we can do, whereas chiropractic is more almost always an outpatient spinal related or maybe the hip, maybe the shoulder, but it's like, it's much more condensed. Um, so it, it's just a little bit different in that way. Uh, and they obviously do a lot of manual therapy, whereas to be a PT manual might be like something you incorporate, but it's not a requirement. But kind of related to your question, other professionals do pelvic floor work as well, not just PTs like midwives, nurse practitioners, occupational therapists, things like that, yeah. Very cool. Wow. I, I mean, <laughs> my brain's just like, oh, no, duh, like bones, muscles, like they're everywhere. Like even like you were just saying TMJ, like jaw, all of it. That makes complete sense. It sounds like you are never bored with your work because the human body is just like so intricate. I can't imagine like, is there anything that doesn't surprise you anymore? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just, I, I was very lucky. Like when I started, so I like most PTs, I'm a former athlete, well, not former, I'm still an athlete, but I'm just not in my main sport. So I used to be a competitive gymnast and I tore three ligaments in my knee. I had surgery 11 years ago. Like a lot of PTs, they're athletes who get injured. They go to PT. They're like, oh, wow, this is a, a kind of work you can do. And then, yeah, but um, I was lucky that I just fell more and more in love with it. The more and more I learned about it. And I think it just fits my personality so much as a career, but yeah, there's just crazy stuff like we have a disc in our jaw like that's crazy we have little crystals in our inner ear that like move past hair cells and tell us where our head is in space like it's just bonkers what the body does <laughs> um so I I feel like there's certainly a lot I don't know and I'm not a specialist in all of those things for sure but I think yeah PT is just we we don't do a great job as like marketing ourselves as a profession because people tend to have like a narrow scope of what we can do which is you know on us because we don't we don't talk about our work. Yeah. But you're also a small business owner. And so I kind of want to shift into that because you introduced yourself saying the owner of Empower Physiotherapy and, and how, um, and I wanted to first ask like, you are a PLLC. So what is that? Because I've heard of LLCs. I haven't heard of a PLLC before. And how, what was it like to start your business? How did you start your business? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually get that question a lot. Um, so it's it's just like an LLC. It's just that because I have um, a professional license I have to maintain, my physical therapist license. I'm required to list my business because I'm the sole owner as instead of an LLC, it's a professional limited liability company. So that that's why it's had that designation. Um, but like also, if you look at closely at dentist's office, they have PLLC listed too, uh, that kind of stuff. 
Um, but yeah, so my business, uh, it turns two on May 16th. So it's still in its like infancy, um, but I'm very excited. Hmm. How did I start it? I mean, you can probably already see that I really like my work. Um, and when I finally got out of school and started working for different practices, I realized that it wasn't sustainable for me. And I had like low-key a quarter life crisis of should I change careers? Like, should I try to find something else to do? Cause like, I can't do this forever. Like I was treating, you know, 12 plus patients a day. So all 40 hours of my work, work week was designated for patient care. So anytime charting, calling physicians, reading images, emailing patients, doing research on diagnoses, that's all on my own time. And so it was like every 40 minutes I had a new patient. It's just like churning them out in a mill. And I I was like, my quality of care is suffering. Like I cannot give my all to these people. And also like, it's it's not sustainable for me as a provider. Um, so yeah, I found myself like falling out of love with the profession. Um, and I was really trying to figure out if there was a way I could continue doing some kind of this work, um, some form of this work. And I luckily had some really good supportive people in my life who were like, you know, like you have a very niche focus and there's like a, there's a need and a demand for the work that you provide. Like you can definitely carve out this space for yourself. And so, yeah, I just kind of like slowly dip my toes in the water and then eventually cut the ties to all my other ventures and just did this, yeah. Wow, it's so exciting. And can, do you mind sharing some of the goals, mission, values of Empower Physiotherapy and how has it evolved since you started? It's almost two years old, how's, how's it grown? <laughs> yeah, um, well, so the, the primary goal, um, and I'm, I'm probably not going to sound like a typical business owner here, because in PT school, we don't learn how to operate a business. <laughs> we learn how to like be a provider, which is a difference. Chiropractors, all, they do learn how to run a business. So I've been, it's been a large learning curve for me to like figure out how to be a marketer and a video editor and like a website, like all in one, you know, all the different hats you wear. Um, but anyway, so the goal, the goal of Empower is really, it, it's just, it's in the name. Like, that's why I picked that name is because I, I. I um, and I'm the philosophy that I cannot fix anybody. I, I do not have magic hands. I do not have a, a patented treatment technique. And I, I also don't love how the medical system seems to steal that locus of control from patients. And I've been a chronic pain patient myself. Uh, and I remember getting like so bitter and resentful and hopeless and like some of my patients with chronic pain, like one of them, he said that it feels like his body had betrayed him. Like there's just this sense of like loss of connection with your physicality. So Empower's goal is to just do exactly that, like empower patients with the tools and the resources, but also like building back that self-assurance and that belief in their body's resilience. And it's just such a joy to like watch them fall back in love with their bodies again and like learn to trust themselves again and love how it can move and and all that stuff. Um, so that, that's probably the biggest goal, but there's so many like ugh, missions, gosh. I think the mission is really to just create a safe space for marginalized people to receive care, um, specifically queer and trans folks, because even though there's been this focus on cis women and pregnancy for the pelvic floor, everybody has a pelvis, everybody, deserves compassionate and competent care. Um, and so I want to be able to provide that care in an affirming way, which, you know, unsurprisingly, there's research to demonstrate that when a patient trusts that their provider is going to care for them respectfully and effectively, they actually 
they do better. In fact, like that belief of the patient is almost as important as whatever treatments you give them, like building that rapport, which I was not able to do in some of my previous positions because I was so, I was just churning out people. Um, so now I can focus, you know, all my attention one-on-one. I think uh, there's a lot of values in Empower, but I, probably the biggest one is transparency. Like I want to be really transparent on an individual level about like a patient's diagnosis and their prognosis and what to expect. Because I, I think that there is a lot of either indirect or direct withholding of information by the medical community to patients, or more often a disbelief in the patient's ability to understand their diagnoses, which is so infuriating to me. So uh, any of my patients will tell you I spend a lot of time educating them, being really honest, like this is the time frame, this is what you can expect, this is how we're going to manage it. But also like publicly, like if, you know, if I screw up, I want, I want there to be transparent communication between me and the public and my patients so that I know that I can find a way to do better. I love that. And it makes so much sense. Cause for me, like when I've gone to a doctor, I want transparency. I want to know what they're doing to my body. I want to understand, like, you know, it can be very intimate working with any type of doctor. And I think that's really appreciated. And I love that you have these values of transparency, these missions of working with marginalized folk. And which actually leads me into my next question perfectly. Because I was going to ask, how does your identity as a queer femme compliment you your identity as a doctor or you know as your identity as a small business or an owner and I took queer femme from your Instagram bio but I understand in the intro you identified yourself as I think homoromantic and pansexual so I don't mean to invalidate any identity summarizing it like that yeah yeah no you're totally fine yeah I do queer femme is definitely how uh that's a part of my identity I don't I don't usually like break it down more, more than that. Um, but I feel, I feel like I, I really value, um, the purpose of this space in this podcast and, and creating transparency. So, and, you know, I wish I had seen that in people when I was younger. So, um, but to answer your question, like, like many queer folks, like I don't come from a super supportive family of origin or place in the country, you know, tolerant at best. Like for example, uh, when I was in graduate school, I started this organization, a special interest group called PT Proud, um, and it is still active today, although I'm no longer in leadership, um, and it's uh, to work on improving the equity and the education regarding queer folks and also creating support for queer providers and queer PT students, etc. And it was created with me and all, it was completely student founded, um, and it's one of my like proudest moments uh, because there's no standardized education about queer folks in PT school and there's no like clear anti-discrimination policies for students or providers. So when I was graduating, I was recognized for my, um, my foundation of that, that organization, that group. And my family was present at graduation. Um, but they said like, you know, it's great you were recognized, but it should have been for academics, not gay stuff. And when in reality, like PG school is not, it's not like law school where your ranking matters, like your grades, if you graduate past the boards, you're good. Like my academics in PT school don't matter as much. The thing that most impactful thing I could have done was the creation of PT Proud. And so my identity as a queer person, like is the direct cause of these outcomes as my identity as a, as a doctor and as a business owner. Like when you're in PT school, everyone asks you if you'll ever start your own practice. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like there's no way I'm going to do that. But, you know, like out of necessity and out of the foundation of my identity, like I did end up founding my own practice for this purpose. So I think the work I'm doing and the places I see my work going are because of, not in spite of my queerness, if that makes sense. 
completely. I really, I really <laughs> empathize with that because I had a similar experience in college with um with my mother. Um, and so mm-hmm. I really, really can empathize with that. And of course, it's why it's why we do what we do. It's why I created this podcast. It's why you have your practice, which I think is so incredible because when I think about it, there isn't like, we don't have enough focus or specializations with working like the queer and trans community, particularly the trans community and being really sensitive and understanding and empathetic and sympathetic, not sympathetic, but just compassionate is what I'm looking for towards the differences and understanding like the different types of body and how our heteronormative and our culture has kind of created (sighs) false realities of gender that now we have to break apart. Um, and so I think it's really great that you have focused your practice on that and how, how have you been able to do that? Like how, how do you educate yourself or how do you specialize with working with like trans or um, LGBTQ families or people? Yeah, uh, that's probably one of my favorite parts of my job. Like I, I, I see a lot of people um, for a variety of different diagnoses, but at any given point, over 50% of my patient volume are queer folks. Um, which makes me just so happy um, and just even more connected to the work that I do. But a lot of it, like there's not a lot of resources out there. So a lot of it has been trial and error and just navigating my, my own way through this community. Um, so, which is part of why I'm, I'm actually currently re- working right now to create a course so that other f- providers can have like a go-to like two-day jam-packed course with like, here's at least all the basics. Like you won't be you know the, a, a super expert but at least you'll be proficient um so and I've you know I've screwed up more times than I can count so it's been a lot of trial and error but basically a lot of the work that I do is exactly the same as what other providers do I just I realize there is so much gendered language and gendered views around our anatomy which is not only hurtful it's false like sex is not a binary it is a complete spectrum and especially for pelvic floor PTs, like we work directly with the genital region and we talk about, you know, sexual activity and we talk about like the most intimate parts of our body, like being able to control like your urine and your bowel movements, like those are so vulnerable topics that we have, I think, a, an, a, like an even greater obligation to be more conscious of the language we use so that we're not deterring folks from coming into seeing us. So for example, I try to minimize and vo- avoid completely if possible any gendered language. Like I, I will try to say like anterior part or canal or outside versus inside, as opposed to using like the more commonly known terms um, regarding this part of the body. And I try to never make assumptions about how they use that part of the body. Like I will always ask, do you engage in like sex with partners who have vulvas and pe- penises or just vulvas or just penises or do you engage in receptive sex at all and is that receptive sex in the front or in the back like you know and and being really conscious about how I word that stuff um and also like being conscious about where they may or may not be comfortable with me assessing because pelvic floor PT usually involves an internal assessment either in the front or in the back um but like that we may not ever get to that and if we do like that may have to be marginalized folks like unfortunately have higher rates of um trauma regarding these areas and so being even more cognizant about how I approach that 
yeah, but honestly, a lot of the care is the same. I would say the more unique stuff um, is working with people who are intersex and trans pregnant folks, because there's this influence of hormones and, and differences in our biology. And so for someone who is assigned female at birth, but is not a woman, you know, be them a trans man, non-binary, et cetera, but is or wants to be pregnant and have a baby and understanding the possible impact of if they were on T and if they were for how long and, and different surgeries they've had or seeing someone after they've had um, bottom surgery and, you know, they have all this new anatomy they're trying to figure their way around and there's all this scar tissue, which unfortunately is not, you know, there's just not a lot of folks who provide that kind of care. Well, I love that you are, and it's so so needed, and so I so appreciate that you're doing this, and you're even creating a curriculum that is awesome. I love that. (laughs) I um, actually am an educator. I'm a professor at Seattle U, an adjunct, and so that's how I heard about your podcast, the On the Red Hawk Squawk Exercise for Life um, podcast, which I really loved, Um, and I learned that you earned your bachelor's and doctorate in Texas before moving up to the Pacific Northwest. And so what was that transition like um, moving from Houston to Seattle? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thanks for listening to that. I really appreciate that. And I'd love any feedback you have about it. Um, it was it was really fun to be on that podcast. Yeah, gosh. Well, to be honest with you, it was like a breath of fresh air moving up here. Like I didn't feel super, I, I kind of felt like genuinely alone in Houston or in Texas in general. Um, I think it's because I became known like pretty quickly in my class, in my cohort as like that radical feminist, outspoken queer girl, um, which was pretty isolating. Because even though Houston is blue, like there's still plenty of areas that are not progressive. And even not just in school, like my first pride there was the same year that the U.S. Supreme Court effectively legalized same-sex marriage across the country. Um, So there were like giant pride celebrations that year, like huge. And I went to the lesbian bar there and I ended up hanging out with this group of women that I had kind of just met. And at the time I had still identified as bisexual because, you know, bisexuality is fluid, yada, yada. And they, at some point I must've like let that slip. And then it was like, I was immediately swarmed by all these like lesbians with old school ideology that was like so biphobic and slut shamey. And like, not that that couldn't happen here in Seattle, it totally could, but I definitely noticed a lot more like transphobia and heteronormativity with like emphasis on butch femme dynamics when I was there. And, you know, it's been a few years, it's very possible things have evolved, but that was my experience, at least as an individual. So I think 16 year old me would think I found like a utopia in Seattle. Although there's definite things that I like miss about the South. Like there's, well, the food for one, there's like so much good food. Um, But also there's like an obvious lack of racial and ethnic diversity here. UT San Antonio, where I did my undergrad, is the top, one of the top 10 Hispanic-serving institutions in the U.S. I think it's like 60% Hispanic, something like that. And then in Houston, it was super common for me to be the only white person in a room, which I like genuinely loved because I, well, not only do I learn a bunch from people who are not like me, but um, well, this probably sounds horrible, but from my point of view, not all the time, but sometimes um, I think that when you get a bunch of white people in a room, like they feel free to be racist and that shit grinds my gears. And like, I don't know how to keep my mouth shut regardless of if it's a superior or a family member saying some problematic stuff. And so like, that's certainly led to some issues, you know, but like, not, not that I realize it's like a privilege to argue about racism rather than to experience it. And also like, I still am learning how to regulate my energy so that I can be of the most purpose to the cause. So yeah. 
That was not awful to say. I think that was honest. <laughs> and I yeah. really that, that type of honesty. Um, I really, I can relate to that. And as someone who was like born and raised in Washington, I think, and I've never been to Texas, so I can't compare. I just feel like for us, we're a little bit more subtle about it. Like it's just not mm -hmm. as overt. And because we do have a lack of a diversity and we have those rooms where sometimes there isn't even a person of color or a black or indigenous person or like present, then yeah, there is a lot of room for racist ideologies, for racist rooted, rooted language and for a lack of accountability. And so I think, I really just, I appreciate your honesty and your candor, I really do. And it actually, in that same conversation, um, the Red Hawk Squawk, like I really appreciated the conversation because, you know, you talked about implicit bias in your area of work. And, you know, if you're comfortable sharing, which I think you are, um, as someone who is white presenting, like how do you use your privilege, your insight, your knowledge to create the safe spaces, not only for queer folk, but for BIPOC queers? Yeah, um, shoot. Well, thank you again for saying that. I really appreciate the, the positive feedback. Um, well, like, I think it's gonna be a, a process of learning and unlearning, not unlike unlearning and, un, uh, learning and unlearning the, the different things regarding like providing specialized care for queer and trans people. I, I think it's just a, a process, but this reminds me of, um, there's this stand-up poet, I really like her name's Denise Froman, and she has this, this poem called Dear Straight People. It's really, it's like the perfect combination of like funny and heartbreaking as most stand-up poets are. But there's this part when she's like, dear straight allies, thank you, more please. And that's it. And just like moves on. Because I think that's exactly like what we need. We don't need to like applaud straight folks for being like decent human beings and like advocating and using their privilege on our behalf. And I think the same is true for like when white folks recognize their own privilege. Like it's like, okay, great, you're here. Now let's get to work. Like, how can we use this? As opposed to being like, oh my gosh, like that's, you know what I mean? So um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like like a lot of folks, um, I've just been like exposing myself to different, different resources, like uh, different means, for example, like uh, Ava DuVernay's 13th documentary. And there's so much good literature too that rightfully so became uh, very popular this summer after the protests um, following the horrible murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Um, there's just such really great literature, like uh, Dr. Kendi has written some wonderful books, including How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, there's The Undocumented Americans by Carla Cornejo Villavicencio and Leila Saad has a great book called Me and White Supremacy, which I really like because there's this like interactive piece. Like there's, it's not just a passive thing that you absorb, there's prompts and like actionable items, which I'm a very like action oriented person. So I, I appreciate that. But I also, when looking for education regarding like my specialty or my practice, I seek out BIPOC educators and not because it's in any way like BIPOC folks job to educate white people but I also know that there are BIPOC people doing anti-racism trainings and stuff like that and I'd rather give them my resources than help white folks continue to profit off racism so um, there's like Chrissy King who did this wellness professional specific series and then Dr. Yucheno Osai who's also a PT does a bunch of like national anti-racism trainings and so I, I think I just try to like hold myself accountable and realize like I for sure have biases that I may not be like the most aware of that can impact the care I provide. But to be honest, in terms of actively providing like a safer space for BIPOC folks specifically, I, like I'm sure I can do better. I just like 
I'm still working on it, <laughs> you know? I totally get it. And I really appreciate you sharing those resources because we will share images and links um, when we upload this. And so everyone can know what you're looking at. And I think it's all about sharing resources and focusing on all types of education and, and also BIPOC like educators and not, and to your point, it's not their job to educate, but as an educator myself, we tend, education tends to be very white centric and very white male centric. And so you have to do make that effort to incorporate other perspectives and other experiences into your curriculum. And so I just, I appreciate the work you're doing. I think it's great. I already feel very comfortable. I think I could come to you. So I don't <laughs> think I have any need to at the time, but if I do, I will not on wood, yeah. <laughs> And I hope that other queers can hear this podcast and they feel comfortable coming to you or reaching out to you. I hope this helps get your name out there because I don't know other medical professionals who are doing this type of like work that you're doing, especially focusing on queer and trans folk. And so I really appreciate it. And I'm also a very action oriented person. So you just keep doing it. It sounds like you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. In terms of sharing resources for uh, like medical professionals, there is a website called queerdoc.com and they actually have a directory for um, affirming providers in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but I think there's only me and like two other PTs on there. The most are like other types of providers, but they also have online care. And then ptproud.org, which is the organization I mentioned earlier, we have a directory and that's nationwide. So um, so there are some some ways to find providers that are affirming. Yeah. That's awesome. And you're in yeah. the area, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate just conversing with you. And if you have any questions for Queers Converse, please email us at queersconverse at gmail.com. Please follow um, Dr. Brianna Durand on, and did I say that correctly? Yes. Yes. <laughs> all of um, her socials. And I just really appreciate all of the insight that um, you gave us today. And so thank you. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks for doing this podcast. It's awesome. <laughs>